Hello and welcome. My name is Alonda Carter and I am the Recovering Hunbot and this is Season 1, Episode 10 of Hey Hun, You Woke Up. This podcast is brought to you on 10 different platforms including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. It is brought to you also on Anchor. The video version is on YouTube. If you would like to support me as an anti-MLM content creator, the very best way you can do that is through my Patreon. There'll be a link to that in the description and literally any amount helps. I've created three tiers ranging from a dollar to ten dollars a month and again, any amount really does help. And if you're listening to me on Anchor, you can donate there through listener support. Today's guest is Misplaced Faith. Misplaced Faith is an ex-Mormon and now an atheist activist. I will place Misplaced Faith, boy, that's a tongue twister, um, links to Twitter and YouTube in the description. Now join me as I have a chat with Misplaced Faith and they share their story about multi-level marketing with us. Thank you so very much for joining me today, Misplaced Faith. I really appreciate your time. So go ahead. And before I started recording, we were chit-chatting a bit. And you're going to give us your background and also the story about um, you being recruited. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Misplaced Faith, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. I, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to, to have me on and tell you about my experience. Um, I'm a YouTuber. And my, my, I guess my, my angle here is um, I used to be a Mormon and now I'm an atheist. And so I spend most of my time talking about um, atheism and, and kind of the thoughts that I had that led me to leaving Mormonism. And I also spend a little bit of time talking about Mormonism as well. Some of their current events and, and things that you've seen in the news um, and my thoughts on that. But lately I've actually been looking at doing uh, first-hand research. So I, I conducted a survey a little while ago that I'll be making a video about and um, some other stuff that's, that's coming up. So, um, but I do have some interesting stories and it might be related to Mormonism a bit because MLMs are not all that foreign to most, uh, most members of the, of the LDS church. Um, I, for example, I think each and every one of my parents and grandparents is a part of an MLM in some way. Um, both my mothers are kind of the, sorry, my parents are, are divorced. So I have two mothers and each of them is, is a active participating member of a different MLM. Um, and that's a pretty common experience for, for Mormons. Um, but you wanted me to talk about that. My, there was an experience I had recently where I was, recruited to an MLM, right? Yes, yes. Okay, okay. So the background on, on this story that needs to be shared is that um, my grandparents are the immediate downstream to the founders of, of an MLM. I guess an MLM organization within a greater MLM organization, which is Amway. And uh, th this is Brad and Julie Duncan, who are the founders of Worldwide Group. And I, I believe they founded some other um, groups and, and done some other things as well. But uh, within Worldwide Group, my grandparents are direct downstreams to the founders. Um, so I think it was the end of 2018, uh, a little bit more than a year ago, I had a friend who out of nowhere asked me if I wanted to meet for some coffee sometime. And I was very excited for that because I actually had a little crush on this friend. 
Um, and we lived a, kind of a ways away, about 40 minutes away, so we didn't see each other a whole lot, which is kind of why, you know, even though I had a bit of a crush, I'd never kind of pursued that. It, it was a little inconvenient at the time. Um, but they asked me to, to meet for coffee, so I was super excited. And we met up, had a great time, and we planned to do it again the following week. And for maybe a couple months, we were meeting on almost a, a weekly basis. And they kept telling me about, you know, whenever I'd ask them, you know, what are you doing? What are you excited about? Um, they'd always talk about their mentors. And it's kind of, you know, that's not a weird thing to have a mentor, but the way that they talked about it and they kind of like, they said like, oh, I have these mentors and they kind of helped me. And they're really vague about it and kind of brushed past, past it, even though the, the question was like, what are you really excited about? And they said like, oh, I have these mentors, but yeah. And, and that was, you know, they just moved past it. And I could tell that there was something weird about it, that it was really important to them, but they didn't want to talk about it a whole lot. Um, and so I never really pushed it, but um, I was always, always curious about it. And um, they'd even mentioned several times, where like, you know, at some time I would love for you to meet my mentors. And I'm like, that's, that's great. Um, I, would, I would love to meet your mentors. I don't know what they do or who they are, what they're all about, but you know, I, I would love to meet them because they're important to you. Uh, eventually, this friend asked me if I would be willing to meet the mentors, and I said yes. And they said, okay, so if you want to meet the mentors, you would have to, um, you'd have to do a couple of things. And I already was starting to see some red flags here, and I was like, okay, so I might do things if you if it was necessary for me to meet somebody but it's really strange for you to put these kinds of stipulations on meeting somebody and having a relationship with somebody like i i wouldn't i wouldn't do that for anybody especially since for me meeting your mentors is kind of a casual thing like meeting your mentors does not mean that they're going to be my mentors now right um but so i said like so what are the stipulations because like i'm willing to do it i'm just not I'm going to sign up for something that I, you know, that I don't know what it is. And I said, well, you'd, you know, you'd meet with me. We'd continue to do exactly what we're doing. So we'd already been meeting for months on an extremely casual basis with no stipulations, no requirements for what I'm doing in order to hang out with this friend. Um, but now it's kind of transforming into, so I'm going to give you like reading assignments and you're going to answer some questions and bring it back and we're going to discuss them. It seems weird, but like I said, I'm crushing hard right and so I'm like you know, and I had actually told them on a couple of times no I don't want to turn what for me is a really fun time with somebody that I like into school or whatever the heck this is and finally um, I got to a point where I was like if I want to move to the next level with with this person like show that I'm actually interested in them beyond we just have coffee once a week I'm going to have to invest in this thing that's very important to them so I told them I said I want to, I want to do whatever, you know, all the stuff to meet your mentors, but I want you to know that I'm not doing it because I really need the mentorship. I'm doing it to understand you better, to know more about you. Right. And so they said, great, that's great. So the first thing you're going to have to do is buy this book and you're going to need to read the first chapter. Um, I, I didn't like that. <laughs> that the very first thing I had to do was buy something, but about the book, it was called the Go-giver? I actually can't hear you. I think you <laughs> no, Yeah, no, I, I, I did. I did. Like, so, so that weird sounds wouldn't come up. 
Yep, I have that book, The Go-Giver. <laughs> it was like, it just when you said that, I was like, I'm not surprised because that's part of the personal development of MLM. So yeah. All right, yeah. so go on. <laughs> okay, great. Um, and by the way, like, feel free to interject and ask questions. Like, I, I, I feel a little bit weird monologuing, but, you know, <laughs> if you have any questions, let me know. Um, okay. Okay. So... Um, I told them, because I was in school at the time. I was actually in graduate school. You and I were just talking about, about graduate school a minute ago, but um, I was really busy and I didn't have a whole lot of money. So I didn't buy the book. And I told them, I was like, I'll, I'll look into it. I also have like, so I have my homework that I'm doing for school and I have the books that I want to read that I have on my own list. And I told them, I was like, I have some important books that are on my to read list. So I'll buy that book and read it when I, when I have time, right? And I was like, but if you want to give me some questions that I can answer, and they said, oh, that's fine. They gave me some different questions the next week it came and I had to answer them. They were like, what are your dreams? And <sighs> what are your aspirations? And then the questions that followed like listing your dreams, the questions were like, what do your dreams cost financially? What do your dreams cost in time? You know, and, and it kind of like gave the realistic aspect. So, so first it was like, think as big as you can. And I think it was in the description, it was like, think as big as you can. Don't hold back. Like just come up with the craziest thing. Right. And they're trying to entrap you because they're like, mm -hmm. they're trying to make you say something that would cost millions and billions of dollars so that they can tell you, you can't do that because you don't have the money. Right. Um, and so I did that, but like, I took it very seriously. So when it said like, what are your dreams or, or goals? I did like a one year list and a five-year list, and a 10-year list, and like by the end of my life, like a legacy kind of list. And for each question, it kind of compounded. So when I got to the, the next one, that was like, you know, how, what would your dreams cost? I had to do what would it cost for my one year, my five year, my 10, right? And it just got like super crazy, but I did it because number one, that's just like the kind of person I am. But number two, I was taking my friend very seriously. I was like, this is important to you. It is now important to me. And I showed up with that list and we didn't even get through it. Like they were so, they were shocked that I put this much, this much effort into the questions. Um, but they could tell that I was serious about it now. Right. And so they said, okay, so what I'd really like you to do is read that book that I told you to, to read. And I repeated myself. I said, I really want to read your book. I don't have the time. And like, even though it's like 12 bucks on Amazon, that's still 12 bucks that I kind of need right now because I'm going to school and I'm not in a place where I can just buy a book if I want it. So the next time we, we arranged to meet, this is where things, where the red flags were like glaring, right? Um, I texted and I said, hey, I'm really excited to see you tonight. And they said, yeah, I'm excited to see you too and hear about your thoughts on the Go-Giver. And I said, oh, I, I didn't read it yet because I haven't bought it. And they said, oh, that's too bad. Maybe we'll have to schedule our meeting for another time. Like, because I hadn't read the book, they were now not going to meet with me. And, wow. wow. Excuse me. And <laughs> yes, it was, um, it really caught me off guard because I really enjoyed this time with my friend. For me, it was about the friend. It was not about the, the mentorship and, and the book and this organization. And my friend had kind of seen it the complete opposite, right? Yep. <laughs> wow. Um, and so you had asked me about cognitive dissonance before. Um, yes. And this is kind of where, and I think I may have mentioned this, that I didn't even allow cognitive dissonance to exist 
in this relationship. I didn't try to balance two positions. When they said, uh, I don't think we can, we can meet tonight because you haven't read the book. I sent a text back and said, like, I told you I wasn't going to read the book. If, if this, like, this seems really strange to me that you're putting these stipulations on the relationship. And, um, and I know that you, at first you said that that would be necessary, but I told you that I'm not committing to doing these assignments um, every time you give them to me. I told you if, if I want to do the assignment, I will do it. But I'm not doing this because I need the mentorship. I'm doing this because I want to meet you. And so in spite of the fact that I didn't read the book, which I told you I wasn't going to read, um, at least by this date, right? Um, it, you're now saying that that was like a requirement that, that we had made. And that's, I had never agreed to that. So if you still want to meet, I'm happy to meet. If you don't want to meet, I'm not really sure why you're kind of taking that position now. And they apologized, but still kind of stayed firm in, in the fact that I needed to read this book. Um, and so having communicate, like they apologized and it was very sincere. Um, I can tell that they were in a position of dissonance because they were like, look, you, you actually are important to me as a person, but I also have this responsibility to my mentoring program. And that's kind of where they were in between two worlds. For me, it was like, I don't care about your program. I interested in you so let me know what you want and they said um i still think that we shouldn't meet until you read the book and i thought about it and i said well i do want to see this person so i said i'll do this i will find an audiobook of the go-giver i will listen to it on double speed and i like did the math before i sent this text i would have finished it if i listened to it on double speed i would have finished it by the time i arrived at coffee <laughs> I said, I listen to it on double speed starting now and I will meet you at coffee tonight at seven or whatever. Right. And they said, if you can do that, then, then let's do it. And so I did it and I listened to the book and here's the funny thing. I really liked that book. I don't know what your thoughts are on it because it is such a staple of, of MLMs. Like anybody I've talked to about an MLM says, Oh yeah, I know the go-giver. I actually thought it was a good book. Do you have any thoughts on that? No, I do. I mean, I enjoyed reading it myself, but I, I guess the problem I have with that book and other things that I have read that I enjoyed at the time is that, that you know, like you said, MLM has twisted it as they, they have somehow corrupted something that I thought was like, this has a lot of good messages in it, but now all I think of is MLM when I hear it because it was, it's almost like it's weaponized against you to get you to uh, indoctrinate you into the mindset of giving and not receiving anything and being, and this is my experience with it. It was when I was a beach body coach and I had joined something called social team builders, which I paid to join, which was to help me with my business. And it was at the time exclusively for beach body coaches. And that was one of the books. And Part of the thing is like, so that we would do our free groups as a beach body coach. And I did things on like, I did one for cuckoo for coconuts. It was about coconut oil and different, <laughs> different recipes for facial products and stuff. And so you're giving and giving and giving to people, not expecting anything in return, you know, just like the go giver, but it, it was also busy work for us as beach body coaches or for anybody in MLM because nobody wants your product as right. you can attest to because of the story you told me about your mom and the tons of Mary Kay products. Right. Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, unfortunately that was the last book that I read that, that my friend recommended that I enjoyed. <laughs> All of the literature following that, um, I had a lot of problems with it. Probably because the, the Go-Giver is, um, it's like very pathos oriented. It's oriented towards like friendships and relationships and things like that. And these other books tried to be numbers based and I kept seeing problems with the numbers. I don't, I don't remember exactly what they are. And like the concepts at a high level make sense. But then when they tried to give examples, I was like, that's not always the case. That's really ignoring a lot of um, like potential problems. One of these books was the compound effect. Oh yes. I know the compound effect. I have it on my shelf. <laughs> yeah. Well, me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, from the recommendation of, of my friend. Um, but I remember when I read the compound effect, I wasn't impressed. It, I didn't have any problems with what it was trying to say, but I thought that there were several chapters that um, kind of didn't give any room for uh, nuance or like the, the average scenario. It was always focused on the ideal scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't appreciate that. And I actually mentioned that to my friend and that became kind of a problem. So that was where I first started kind of challenging. So everything that my friend said at first, there's nothing wrong with it, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, what are your dreams? You know, um, there, there are some things that are going to stop you from achieving your dreams, but there are things that you can do to get there. And they told me about different things like having a network and having education, which is so funny because this organization, when it got down to it, actually hates education. When they say education, what they mean is their own training. Right. right? So that's, right. that was so weird. And maybe hates education isn't the right thing, but in a minute, I'll tell you about one of my big problems with the organization with regard to how they talked about education. Um, but yeah, so they were, um, I just kind of lost, lost my place right there. That's Um, okay. You know, I've done that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. So, uh, I read the compound. Oh, they were, they were saying all these things about like good things about like, you have dreams then go achieve them. And I want to help you do that. And we'll figure out how to get there. Like, you can't disagree with that. That's, that's great. Uh, and then they started talking about like, okay, so in order to achieve your dreams, you need financial freedom. And the way that you have financial freedom is X, Y, Z. And and the compound effect was one of the first places where they started talking about that. And I said, X, Y, Z are not the only routes to financial freedom. There are other ways to get to financial freedom. And I feel like, and this isn't exactly how I said it, but this is one of the things I communicate. I said, I feel like you've inserted a dream into the things that I told you. Because I never once said that financial freedom was my goal. And you're telling me that financial freedom is the stepping stone to those goals. And my friend's like, well, it's true. Because, you know, because we, t- we talked about the, the cost and the time and all that. And I said, that's great. But I'm not looking at, I need financial freedom before I can achieve my goals. I'm achieving my goals now, right? Like when I think about, you know, I want to visit these, these places, I'm looking at how visiting those places can be a part of my job that I have now, how that can be a part of how I spend my time and, and, and how that can be a part of my, like the things that are happening. I don't want to be 60 when I achieve my dreams. I want to start achieving them today. And they were kind of putting my dreams on the other side of this fence that is financial freedom. And that really worked to their advantage because financial freedom was what they were selling right? Mm -hmm. And between quotes, financial freedom, right? (laughs) Yes, plenty of air quotes. (laughs) Right, the the idea of of financial freedom. So um, I read Rich Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
Um, and there's one word that I'm, that I'm not remembering at the, at the moment, but it was written by, I believe it was written by a Japanese author. Rich Poor Dad, that's Kawasaki. Um, oh, I, maybe that's the one. Yeah, that, that's the one. Yeah, it, he's the one that wrote that. Um, and I have never read it, but I know of it. And I know of him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, here's the funny thing is, all along the way, I, in my mind, his mentors are financial advisors, right? I never once did it cross my mind that this was an MLM, right? I'm like, you know, I, I've never been recruited in this manner. The only other time I've been recruited, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, um, but the only other time I've been recruited was by my grandparents when they were part of Quickstar, which was another Amway organization, right? Um, and that was complete bogus. I was like 16 years old. And they were talking about how I needed to like buy product and then I would wear it around school and all my friends would see it and they would want to buy it too. And I, in my, in my 16 year old mind, I'm like, wow, I could be making hundreds of dollars a month. And what I didn't realize was that I needed the hundred dollars a month before I could make the hundred dollars a month. And I'm 16. That's not going to happen. Right. 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 Crazy. Yeah. My, my poor grandparents, um, I, they mean well, I don't think they realized that they took advantage of me, but, um, Anyway, moving on from that, I'd never been recruited at, in this kind of, like a organic kind of way. And so I've read these books. I've told you about meeting up with my friend. My friend finally says, I want you to come to a meeting with my mentors. And I was like, great. Uh, and they like tried to kind of prep me for it, but they did a really bad job. Um, they just made me feel a little bit weird about what it was going to, like I was under the impression it was going to be me, my friend, and two or three of their mentors. Um, I show up at this house, and there are cars parked in the driveway, on all the street, around the block. And I'm like, what is going on at this house that I'm supposed to be going into? I'm also an introvert, so large crowds are really difficult for me. And I was not prepared for this large crowd, right? And I walk in, and it looks like a, like a cocktail networking event I I'm not sure what's going on there's all these people and, and I can't tell the mentor from the mentee you know there's like all <laughs> sorts of people they're all dressed up another thing that you wouldn't know is that I dress very casually in my in my day-to-day -day life like I don't you know I don't know how to how to talk about this the right way but like like um you know black tie or even a tie is not really what I do even in my professional life. I, I get away with not dressing up, but for this event, I had to dress up and I get in there and all these people look like me. They, they look like people who don't usually dress up, but they bought a tie for this event. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they look out of place as well. And I meet some people and I'm talking to them and I'm just not, not vibing. I'm just not feeling comfortable, but whatever. The networking's over. They have us all sit down. It's like we're in a seminar in somebody's living room. It's a nice house, a nice big house. But they have like folding chairs, like like four or five rows of folding chairs, and it's like four or five across. It's a lot of people in here. And this guy who absolutely looks like now, how familiar are you with the Mormon Church? Um I I am familiar with it, but not you know, tremendously familiar with it. Okay. So this guy to me looks like a Mormon bishop. So like the leader of a of a congregation. Right. What do and, they look like? Give me a paint a picture for the audience. Okay, so it's it's a white, like forty to fifty year old man, um, you know, in a in a dark colored suit with a white shirt and a tie, 
clean shaven, uh, short, like comb over um, hair, just very, uh, looks like a, like, a, like a white person from a stock photo kind of thing, right? Like a businessman, right? Um, that sounds but, very much like early days of Amway of how they trained people to dress. Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. That, that would have been right on. Um, wow. But it wasn't just like his appearance. It was also the way that he walked, the way that he spoke. Um, I don't really know how to describe this as well. It's very composed. And also, um, I don't know how much I sound like a Mormon, but a lot of Mormons have this way of speaking. Uh, if you ever watch like a Mormon general conference, and you can go and just look that up, general conference, and you'll see um, like the, the church leaders talking. Uh, it's it is its own thing. It's its own way of speaking it. And you can, you can hear it. And the minute that you like recognize it or, or the minute that you kind of have a feel for what it sounds like, you will see it whenever you see a Mormon trying to give a presentation. They talk like a Mormon. It's, it's really weird. I am looking that but, up because I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the anthropologist in me wants to know. <laughs> enjoy it. Enjoy it. Um, so anyway, that's the vibe I'm getting with this presentation. I feel like I'm, like I'm at church. Um, just, that's really a side note, but he starts this presentation and everybody starts, starts, he's like, welcome to the thing. And we're doing this. I forget the verbiage that he used, but everybody starts clapping and I'm already a little bit like weirded out because the applause is way too strong for what he just said. <laughs> and then he starts talking about, you know, talking, he's like, oh, you know, this person's here was this and we're so excited and you, and he starts like kind of calling out individuals and that's that's no no big deal um but then he tells a joke and everybody does the same thing they laugh and they applaud really loud for the joke and this is something that i noticed actually throughout the presentation that he would tell jokes and when i started to get a feel for the presentation like i was like okay so this is something that he does regularly he gives this presentation on a regular basis but every time he told a joke that seemed like it was built into the presentation and not something that was actually like him being funny. My friend and other people that I knew ha that who had seen this presentation before would still laugh like the first time they heard it. That is so creepy. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm visualizing this. I'm very uncomfortable thinking about it because it's like, my gosh, they just seem like they're trained to do that. Yeah. <laughs> It's like there's a sign that says applause, like, and it lights up whenever the guy says, says a joke. I, I ended up asking my friend the next time we met, I was like, hey, everybody, I was like, had you seen that presentation before? He goes, yeah. And, and uh, I said, so you'd heard those jokes before? And they say, yeah. So why were you laughing at them like you had never heard them before? And they were like, they didn't have really an explanation. They were just like, we, I just enjoy the presentation. I was like, it's, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, okay. Have you, have you ever heard of the, of the TV show, Adam Ruins Everything? No, I haven't. Um, I, I'm not trying to like promote other, <laughs> other content on, on your channel, but um, it's this guy that like, he talks about an industry and basically talks about how the industry sucks and all the problems with it. Uh, he talks about like the diamond industry and the fuel industry and the car industry. Um, and so it's called Adam Ruins Everything, right? And it's not meant to be like negative. It's more about like how you can be a more informed consumer. Um, but I saw him live one time and he talked about um, the reason that you go to a comedy show is to have somebody else make you laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, because 
how weird would it be if you just sat at home and laughed? <laughs> okay. I'm picturing other weird things. Like I'm just sitting on my couch busting out, you know, for no apparent right. reason. Yeah. And it, it's really absurd. Right. And that's why it's funny. But he was talking about like, you know, the, the reason that you pay money to go to a comedy show is because it's weird to laugh because laughing is a natural expression of like actual joy of, of, of an actual feeling. And so when I'm sitting here in this presentation and people are laughing at these jokes that I know they don't think are funny. Right. I'm just like, what, what is the point of faking a laugh? That's so, so silly. So wow, it's so dumb. Um, so moving on, I don't really remember exactly what was talked about in this presentation. It was all really like superficial. Um, I didn't really get any value of, out of it. I remember thinking like, this does not tell me, what you're saying now is not telling me how to become financially independent. What you're telling me is that in order to, in order to be successful in life, that I need friends who are successful. Um, not entirely true, but very helpful, right? Like there's a correlation there. Mm -hmm. um, but like it, it wasn't, it wasn't enlightening in any way. And then they got into, and that's where Amway comes in. And I was like, mind blown. <laughs> this, this six month ordeal all came, I was like red flags along the way, bigger and bigger. And then out of nowhere, the guy drops the ball. That's why Amway. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. I mean, you know. I was expecting so much. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, what a letdown. And I mean, yeah. especially the fact that you're interested in this person, that you're attracted yeah. to them. And I mean, I, I can remember when I was single, I've been married now for several years to my second husband. But yeah, I mean, when you're attracted to someone, it's like, you know, you, you want to get to know them. You want to, you, you'll do things that it's like, well, this isn't really what I want to do, but you know, Hey, it's important to them. Okay. You know, you, you just do things. But the fact that all along, it was always to get you in to say yes to Amway, <laughs> you know, that is just my boy. And Amway is typically does have like these coffee house type meetings and then the house meetings. And one of the things that sticks out to me, it really bugs me is the word mentor is used because I've used mentor when I was in graduate school for instructional design. And I still consider Tusi uh, my mentor, Tusi Harumi. Uh, he, he was amazing at what he did. And I learned so much. And I mean, like if you lived here and I said, Oh, you, my mentor's in town, let's go have dinner. It would be the three of us, or maybe my husband would be there right. if he was available. You know, that's it. It wouldn't be like, well, I'm now doing a presentation in my living room. So I really feel like they've like bastardized, you know, the concept of mentor. And that, that just intrinsically bothers me. Yeah. But that's what MLM does with so much. And I think that just plays into the whole concept of loaded language. You know, I mean, what is mentor in their language versus what is mentor in the rest of the world? Oh, there's a, it, it, there's a lot of like rhetorical games being played. Um, and I didn't see it until I met my friend's mentors. Right. So my friend, as much as, as much as it's, you know, it seems like my friend kind of did me dirty by not telling me what it was I was getting into and all this. Uh, my friend never lied to me, like a, a, apart from not telling me what the organization was and like what, what it was all about. Um, they, they were honest. They told me when they didn't know the answer to a question and, and, um, and things like, like, like there are these little red flags along the way, but that person did care about 
like, did care about me, still cares about me. In fact, it was only a couple months ago because we hadn't spoken in a long time. And for some reason, I thought it was worth it for the closure to reach out. And so I just, you know, sent a text and, and we chatted a little bit and asked them if they wanted to talk on the phone sometime. They agreed. And so we talked and I basically just said like, this sounds kind of weird, but I basically said like, hey, remember when we were meeting for coffee and then you ended up, you know, uh, introducing me to your mentors and they were like, yeah. And I was like, I was meeting with you for coffee because I was interested in you. Like, in, like romantically interested in you. And they go, oh yeah, me too. And it was like, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, um, wow. And, and I essentially just said like, um, so spoiler alert on the story, uh, it ended a little bit like, it's uh, the word I'm thinking of, heated, I guess. Um, and I said just like, I, I'm sorry for how kind of that all happened. Um, I said some things that even, you know, maybe I wish I'd said a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, I just kind of regret that the way that that all happened. And they said, me too. And we kind of left it at that. I, I've moved away. I've moved to a different state since all that. But it was really nice to just have that opportunity. Like, they apologized to me for how it all went down as well. And, and said that they could have been more transparent, which I don't think it was on them. I think it was on the mentors, right? Like, um, so, yeah. 10,000%. So, 10,000%. 10,000%. <laughs> 10, they were taught to do that. Yes. Right. Right. So that, that's how the story goes. But um, uh, just a couple pieces of like important um, information that for how the, how the story continues. So at that meeting that I was at, I was getting like progressively more uncomfortable with the, with the guy who was giving the presentation and, and the way that he was presenting things and talking. I thought, like you said, a lot of loaded words or loaded rhetoric. And I started to notice a lot of cognitive cognitive dissonance in what he was talking about. So he was kind of talking about, he was like, people go off and get an education and then they get these jobs where they can't pay for their student loans. And he's basically, I don't know if he said this, this exactly, but um, it was along the lines of like education is the biggest scam in the United States. And while I recognize that it's not perfect, um, I, I don't think that's true, right? I think that, that we do need, formal education. And where the dissonance comes in is that his, his son was going to college at the time and his son was in the group. And like, he was talking about how proud he is of his son uh, for going to college. And I don't know, it seemed really, really strange to me that he was talking so bad about it. And then, so he talks about the products that they have. He talks about their meal bars and their, their diet drinks and all this stuff that he's doing. And then he, at some point he says, um, this is like not this isn't a, a good flow. The background is that he talked about the products and then we're jumping ahead and he says, education is so silly. He goes, who in here uses photosynthesis on a daily basis or on a weekly basis? And everybody's kind of sitting there like chuckling really you know, silently to themselves. They're like, oh yeah, who uses photosynthesis? And I looked around and I was like, really? And I raised my hand. And at this point, the, the, the guy who was speaking had not interacted with me, had not looked at me. He had no idea who I was. Um, and I raised my hand when he was asking a question that he didn't want answered, right? He didn't want anybody to say me. He wanted everybody to not answer. And I raised my hand and he, he goes, yeah, did you have a comment? And I said, yeah, I use photosynthesis on a daily basis. And he goes, really, how do you use it? And I said, because all energy that we get from our food comes from photosynthesis. And he kind of is like, oh, um, well, and then, so he makes a good point here. 
he goes, okay, you're right, but do you need to know about photosynthesis for you to get the energy from your food? I said, no. And he goes, so do you use photosynthesis on a daily basis or do you just eat food? And I was like, okay, I just eat food. But so I didn't press it because he was trying to like silence me in front of the group. He didn't shame me or anything. He just presented a, a counter argument and I wasn't going to push it. Like this was not my, my house, not my group. You know, I am a visitor so, or I'm a guest here. So I'm not going to, I'm going to do that. Um, but how can you talk about your products being so healthy and being um, so like, uh, like, like the, the meal replacement bars and all that, like the, the way that you get to that, the way that you get to this nutritionally dense product is through the science that people had to go to school for. Like you don't exist without photosynthesis. You, your, your amyloid doesn't exist without photosynthesis. How are you going to tell me that it doesn't matter and that, I, that you don't need an education when everything that you're doing today is because somebody's educated? Maybe not you, which is apparent, but without that, you know, you don't have this. Um, but I didn't, I didn't push that necessarily, but that in, in summary, that meeting was very bad. <laughs> Everything had been okay up to that point. That meeting was like the first time that I was like, I don't like these mentors. I think they're dishonest and I, I don't think they care about me. I think they care about their, their MLM. Yeah. Yeah. They care about filling slots, you know? Right. How many of those people that were in the audience, though, were like your friend who had brought someone that they were trying to recruit into this? Because obviously they were all like laughing, you know, at the jokes yeah. that they had heard. And it's, I mean, I'm getting just a very weird mental picture and it's probably pretty accurate what, what I'm seeing in my own head. But I, I'm, I'm presuming that a lot of them did bring someone to this, you know, meeting that you were expecting that you were just going to meet a couple of people. But it was an orchestrated event to be like a seminar thing. And here's our pitch. If, if I had to guess, I would say that there were more people there who had brought somebody or who should have brought somebody than guests. Right. Wow. And even within the guests, I think some of those guests had been to a meeting prior to that. So when it comes to people like me who were, it was their first time and they weren't aware of the jokes, it would have been few out of the many. Wow. That's, you know, I just can't imagine going and hearing the same pitch over and over again, you know, cause it, it, that seems like a lot of waste of time of trying to bring people in to, for this big long setup for everything. That seems like a lot of work without much payoff. Do you know if your friend was able to recruit people or anything, or did you never have those kinds of conversations? Um, I actually never had that conversation. I didn't, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess if my friend is dating other people by recruiting them, I didn't want to know. About it. <laughs> no, that's, that's a joke. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't think so though, given the amount of time that they spent on me and what I know about them, I don't believe so. You know, the whole thing of, the, <laughs> of using MLM as like a dating mechanism is, is just comical in and of itself. <laughs> it's not disturbing also. I mean, I would have had some choice words if someone had done that to me because, you know, and it, the words that would come out of my mouth would be very not, not kind. And that's not my typical 
demeanor is to be unkind, but I would not appreciate feeling like I was being played with that. I am, you know, going to be part of your opportunity. And maybe I would, and maybe I wouldn't know that they were attracted to me, but you know, it just, it, it feels very dishonest. You know, the whole setup seems very dishonest because it's leading you into, you know, a system that is designed. So most people fail. Yeah. I mean, if I can be, so I agree with you. Like if, and if I felt like that, what, how you described it was what had happened, I would be upset as well. In fairness to my friend, they thought that their organization was something good in their life and they wanted to share it with me. It, much in the same way that somebody shares their religion with somebody, right? In spite of the fact that there could be problems with the religion, I think, oh, my religion has made me happy. And so because that's the only experience I have to go off of is my own, um, if it makes me happy, it must make you happy. So I'd like to share that with you. And I think that's what the intent. 10,000% per, 10, because that's what it was like for me too. I never thought I was, you know, a horrible person for sharing things that I thought were good because I did not, I basically didn't know any better of what the structure yeah. was and how destructive it was and how it transforms you. I am sure that your person, your person, the friend, um, you know, they, they, they believed in it and they didn't, they were duped by other people who had, um, gotten into the system and yeah. they, they were b believing in it wholeheartedly. And of course, that's what you want to do. That's what you're taught to do is to share it with everyone, you know, bring people, yeah. everyone into it. It's this wonderful thing. And you full on believe that it's the best thing since sliced bread. But right. once you see the sun, I mean, it's pretty bright. Once you realize what's been going on, you know, as, as someone who is an ex unbot. Yeah. 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 Um, so and, and I've been, I've tried to be careful with the way that I've, I've shared this story. So um, I don't think that I've said that the organization itself doesn't work or, or that people aren't successful in it. Um, because if I'm being honest, I don't know. Uh, I never signed up, so I, I couldn't speak to my own experience. And in addition to that, one of the things that I continually ask for following this meeting, so I had actually met my friends, direct upstreams, their direct mentors, and the mentor who gave the, the presentation, who is my friends, upstreams, upstream, right? So these three people, um, I, I met with them, and they kind of gave me a more detailed outlook at what a worldwide group actually did, what kind of I would, what I would do. They mostly talked about my responsibilities and not actually how it works, like what's under the hood. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> One of their main things is like, they have these numbers that say like uh, if a person meets with one of their potential clients or whatever, like once a week or once a month, I don't remember the number. So please don't quote me here. But they said, if, if you're making your minimum meetings, then your average income is going to be like $200 a month or something like that. Right. That, that's so, very typical in terms yeah. of how, how it all works. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that I started asking for when they would say this, I say, this is a great number. This is a great average. Um, can you show me how you got that number? And they, they would either, um, they would either say like, that's the number, or they would say it's just an average, or they would like get a little defensive, be like, what, what do you mean? What is it that you want? What is it that you want us to show you? Like, this is an average number. We can't like show you one, one example of how that works. I'm like, 
I just want to know where that money comes from. Like I, I don't I, like the way that a, like a store works is that a store has products and those products have a price and that price has a markup upon which the store owner is making money. But then the store owner has expenses. So you need to sell so much product to get so much market to get above your expenses. Right. And I'm like trying to explain it very simply for them. And they, it's really funny, actually, they, they were a little condescending to me sometimes. Like would, I actually noticed this throughout the whole process, but I never really took it offensively when my friend did it because like, I didn't, I just didn't take it offensively. But when their mentor started doing it, um, their tone was more condescending than my friend. And I started to get a little bit upset because they would be like, well, it's very complicated business stuff. And I was like, it's not complicated business stuff. Please just show me the numbers. I can handle it. Um, and they would say like, oh, well, you're not ready for that. And I was like, look, I just explained to you how somebody like makes a profit. Will you show me how your organization makes a profit? Like do the same thing I just did for you. Don't tell me that I couldn't understand it. Um, I said like, for example, I give you the example of, of a store like 7-Eleven has Mountain Dews and this is how much profit they make from a Mountain Dew. What is the store that where I buy Amway products? Will you show me the store? And they kept giving me the runaround and telling me no. And they had gotten to a point. Now, my friend all along this, all along the way had talked about how the mentors, it wasn't like a mentor was above you, but you were in like a equal council, like a, like a Socratic circle where, you know, uh, King Arthur's round table. No person is at the head of the table. All, all members are equal. And I'm having a conversation with my friends direct upstream. And I say like, look, all I want you to do is show me where the product comes from and how much the product costs, how much of one product I have to sell in order to make a profit for myself. And he says, look, you're not in control here. And kind of gives me this little talk about how like, I need to be more humble and I need to just trust them. Um, and that was a huge red flag for me. This is, I mean, it's, I, as you can tell, basically, like once I went to that meeting, I was kind of done and I was more like just trying to get information about how the organization worked rather than interested. Um, but it, it was very clear to me that what I had been told, which is that my mentors are there to help me as a peer, not, not to be the boss of me, but to kind of work with me on my goals. That's how they had, had kind of described this relationship. And he very much showed me that like, um, he was like, no, you're the student, we're the teachers, right? And kind of almost tried to put me in this place of like submission. And I was like, look, you haven't earned the respect from me. You, you haven't showed me how this is going to help me. You, you haven't answered any of the questions that I've asked you. I have no reason to give you more trust than to ask you for the evidence that backs up these things that you're telling me, like that I'm going to make $200 every month. And that's when they kind of hit me back with the rhetoric. Of, well, you're not guaranteed to make $200. And I'm like, exactly. That's why I would like to see how I do this. I don't want to just pay you money every month and then pay $50 to go to a seminary every month, or not seminary, seminar every month um, and meet with a bunch of people when I have no idea of how I'm going to make money back from that investment. I want to know not just like, that these are my dreams and I'm going to achieve financial independence. I want to know what steps I need to take along the path of your financial independence to get there. And you're not giving me that. And it basically boiled down. What was that? Did they ever share with you the compensation plan? 
I think they shared shared it with me. Um, but once again, the compensation plan is just like if you hit this many recruits or this many sales in between quotes a month, but I don't know, like for every sale I make is, is my profit or is my margin the same? Like I have to assume that like there's a higher markup on, on different products, right? Um, well, I, mean, I, I can speak to it like in terms of Beachbody because you get personal volume points depending on what product right. you buy. And it's going to be the same way for any MLM and those personal volume points help translate into the volume you need for a particular rank. And then how many people you sign up underneath you relates to all of that too. Right. And, yeah. So, so they did go over that with me, but my issue is that uh, how much is a personal volume point worth? Right. And so you, you could show me like, Oh, well, well, $1 equals 50 personal volume points. Great. Now I want to know what the products are that are going to entice people to give me personal volume points or, or, or whatever this is. Um, and that's where the disconnect was. Like I wanted to draw like in real life, not in Amway's fictional uh, um, currency, but in real life, what is the exchange that's being, being made? What is the transaction? What is my client getting for the money that they're giving me? And what is the money that they're giving me that's going to make me hit these goals? And they never, they never, translated that for me that's all I wanted to know was like for all I know this system works but they never gave me that information so I never was able to to make a, the decision to join I mean I don't know that that may sound a little weird um, no no, no it, it, it it doesn't sound weird at all because I mean these systems don't work it it, it depends on endless recruitment that's the whole thing is that you always have to have people coming in at the bottom and for people, because they may say like, and I'll just use Beachbody for the 200 that you were told. Oh, yeah. the average is 200. Most people never even make that 200. You know, that, that just yeah. doesn't happen. Like in terms of Beachbody, 74% of the people, according to the 2018 income disclosure statement, are at the level of coach, which is the entry level rank. They don't even get to the first rank, which is Emerald, meaning you've signed up two people, one on your left, one on your right leg, and then you get volume points for them. And then you have to maintain that. And then um, I have um, a friend who made it to a different level and she could not maintain. I mean, every time you get to a level, it's like the way I describe it is, have you ever played Jenga? Yeah. Okay. So you're building your tower, you know, you, yeah. and think of that tower as those are your people, right? But people leave. And so you're trying to desperately then find more people to cram into, you know, keep that tower up usually you can't find anybody to even start building a tower. Right. And it's so, I mean, I mean in, in, yeah. the, in the ideal world, <laughs> in the ideal world, people are actually saying yes, but the reality is, is everybody's like, Oh, it's MLM. Yeah. No. See, and, and that's where ideals become subjective because for me in the ideal world, everybody's going to say no and realize that it's a problem. <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's, it's a huge problem. <laughs> I mean, I look, I think I was talking to you about, you know, looking at the people who were in LuLaRoe and having, you know, the thousands of dollars worth of clothing that they can't sell. Your mom having all the Mary yes. Kay products that she was buying to yeah. maintain the rank and then not using them. So it's self-consumption. A lot of these companies, that's what they depend upon is that you become the customer and you yeah. are consuming the product. And in order for you to be paid, you have to be at that particular rank. You have to hit those volume points, which depends upon you getting product yourself. Right. And hence and you end up with a truckload of it. 
Right. And, and actually with, with regard to, to um, my mom who does Mary Kay, so I think I said this before, but um, she used to, at the end of every month or at the end of every period, she would have this really stressful conversation with my dad and they would kind of argue about, you know, she's like, I need to buy this much worth of product to hit my quota. And my dad would be like, well, can you, can you sell that? And she said, you know, I don't know. And it's like kind of this, this concerning thing because she wants to, you know, be at whatever level or whatever income, you know, level that she's trying to stay at. Um, but she just, she's going to have to assume all of that cost essentially to, to get that. Uh, and so as I was growing up, her room was always full of product that it was the same product for years, you know, um, but it recently, I mean, not, I don't remember how long it's been, but the last time I was there, I was just kind of interested and I peeked my head in the office and looked around to see if anything looked familiar. And it's actually all new products. So I'm glad to see that. I hope she was able to sell it instead of just throwing it out. But, um, so that's good. But actually the interesting thing is she's had a Mary Kay car for like the past five years. Um, so I don't know how big of a margin she makes by having that car. I know that they, she doesn't, I mean, she, so Mary Kay pays for the car, but I do know that they have to pay taxes on the car. Mary Kay doesn't pay for the car. Mary Kay pays for it only if you maintain a particular rank, then you get like, and I'm just throwing out a random number uh -huh. right now, like three, $500 towards that car. If you are at a particular rank, that's usually, that's how all these MLMs work. Yeah. So then that's why she's buying all this stuff is so that she gets that bonus to keep that and then trying to recruit people so she can keep getting, right. getting that bonus. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I don't really know like financially how much benefit she actually gets from, from Mary Kay, because I know that like, even if she's getting a check or getting a car, um, there's a lot of actual money. It's not just time and investment, but it's actual money that's going in from on, on her end to make that happen. So I don't really know what the, what the margin is. I do know that she's pretty happy with it and that she's been fairly, uh, between quotes, successful. Because once again, I, I don't know how to quantify that success. But yeah, she, she, she has the, the pink Cadillac right now and she's trying to go for some black like convertible next year. So, you know, I guess more power to her if she can do it. <laughs> Now, do, do you know if like her downline, if they're all like other Mormon women within, you know, Utah, is it like her community or are they like, you know, in, in other states, in other cities? Uh, they're, the big majority of them are local. I do know that she has like uh, relatives. I think like Florida is, is a good example. Like across the country, she has like a relative who now has their own kind of downstream or network down there and she is getting you know okay. some yeah. uh, income or whatever from from that um, but for the most part I remember when I was a kid it was all women from church it was all women that I saw every Sunday um, in later years whenever I just happened to to be back when she was having a meeting I don't recognize anybody I don't know if that's because I don't know all the people that go to their congregation now or if it's because she's actually branched out but I mean what I'm trying to get at is that like in some way she's she's had success within the organization but i've also seen a lot of the stress and kind of concerning things like having to buy extra product every month to to meet your quotas that's that's not right yeah um, no no it's not but when i was at that meeting um where that that guy was kind of telling jokes and everybody was laughing and all that it, one of the things that he talked about was how people say that mlms are 
are a scheme or that they're illegal or whatever. And he drew a pyramid, just a pyramid of like what an MLM looks like. So you have a right leg, left leg, and then they have their own legs and legs, right? And he goes, this is just a business. You have the CEO at the top and you have your VPs oh. and, and, and he, and then you have your managers and employees. And I was like, okay, so this is not wrong, but you're leaving out the important detail, which is the company pays you in an MLM, you pay the MLM. Very, right. very different. What I don't mind having somebody above me at the company that I work for because they pay me. They, they pay me to, to show up at work and do a job. And, and I always know that that's going to be the case. Um, and so with the case of, of my mom and her Mary Kay stuff, when it came down to it, if she wasn't able to sell, she just had to buy it, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole thing is that, you know, you hit the nail on the head is that you're guaranteed a wage. You know what you're getting for the amount of time that you're putting into it in MLM. And I'm just going to use my own story. And there's many other people that would attest to the same thing. You could be working 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week on your MLM, making absolutely nothing. That's not the case. If you get a real job that they try to demonize in some way and be right. like how awful it is. And the relying on is the same shape of like, Oh, it's a pyramid too. It's like, well, it's, it's the structure. It's like where the money is flowing. I mean, money is going upstream when it comes to, you know, MLM and, you know, coming down when it talked about a traditional one. So they're, they're very, very different, but they try to use that same thing. And I, I've heard that so many times and there's so many different, like, I guess memes about it and everything as well too. Yeah, it's it's just a faulty comparison. They're, yeah, they're they're only looking at the ways in which it's similar and ignoring the ways in which they're not. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wow, that is just such a fascinating story. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know, I bet you're not the only person that has gone through something similar with Amway or you know, like with other ones because not all. MLMs function in the way that Amway does in terms of like the, the home party kind of a thing of like yeah. a meeting of where you bring people. Um, and I did see something a couple of months ago where they're going to start doing, you know, like using social media because they haven't been using social media. And my thought is, well, they're probably needing, needing to leverage that because it's probably getting more difficult to get people, you know, to actually meet in person and do how they had been doing it for many, many years, because social media now, as you know, having a YouTube channel yourself, being on Twitter, social media is very, very powerful. Um, mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the um, MLM drama that happened a couple of weeks ago with Rodan and Fields and um, Anastasia of Beverly Hills? I, I don't know. For some reason, that all sounds familiar, but I'm, I'm actually not involved too much in, in all of that. But what, what happened? What happened was, okay, Rodin Fields is an MLM. ABH is not. They, it's a high-end, you know, cosmetics. And I believe that they're known for their eyebrow stuff. I've never bought the product, but I know people who do really like the product. Well, Rodin and Fields, and I think it came out on Instagram. I could be wrong, but there was a video about how they're doing this collaboration with ABH. Well, you know, the anti-MLM community on Twitter just basically went off and started um, tagging Norvina, who is the, I think she's the president of it because her mom is Anastasia, started tagging her on it. And she's like, what's MLM? And so she, and this is very common. There, most people do not know what MLM is. They don't understand the structure of it. They don't understand the destruction it does to individuals, to families, um, or any of that. 
Well, it was shut down within a week. That collaboration just, you know, ended because of how people responded to it, which I thought was very interesting and very powerful because it does show you the power of social media. It does show you the power of people speaking out against um, a type of business, if you will, that people will not back anymore. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was a big deal. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm expecting more things like that to happen because if other um, companies team up with whatever, you know, the anti MLM community can respond on social yeah. media about it. And it, there's more and more content creators coming on, on, whether it be on YouTube, on Instagram, on Twitter or whatever, more people are speaking out against this. And, you know, um, MLMs are going to have to deal with that, that, you know what, you've used social media to leverage your opportunity, but mm -hmm. now there's a big voice of a bunch of people that we're not going to go quietly into that good night and just shut up. We're just getting started kind of a thing. Yeah, I think so. It's a very complicated topic, um, but I think just the transparency that social media and the access to the internet has provided um, has been a, I think it's been a good, a, a good thing in a lot of ways. Like I said, it's very complicated. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, negative aspects of, of the internet, but um, the transparency for me is such a big deal. And it's been, it, it sounds like it's been a great thing for the anti-MLM community. Um, in my experience, it's been a great thing for the Mormon slash ex-Mormon slash Mormon adjacent community because we can actually have an open conversation about these things that people just didn't have access to. And, and people knew it, but they knew it from word of mouth or they knew it from, you know, I knew a guy that knew a guy, but now, you know, the receipts are on the table and can have a real conversation. And a big thing for me, especially being an, an ex-Mormon, and in a lot of ways, now this is a word that's kind of difficult for people in the Mormon adjacent community, which is anti-Mormon. Um, I, I think I kind of qualify as that, but for a lot of people, anti-Mormon means like a Mormon hater or somebody who's really mean or just persecutes Mormons. My goal isn't to like ban Mormonism. I don't. I don't necessarily want the Mormon Church to to be dissembled or, or or for Mormons to have to suffer or anything like that. I just want to have a respectful conversation and find some equal equal ground, some equal footing, so that we can coexist in in spite of differences of opinion and things like that. Um, but I think that requires being honest about what's going on. So if there is harm that's coming from an MLM or from from a, a religion. Um, we can be honest about that, but we can also compartmentalize that if people are getting benefit from the religion or from an organization. I don't want to speak too too much to MLMs because I don't, like I've said before, I really don't have enough experience within an MLM to know what benefit somebody is actually getting from it. But maybe it's a sense of community or, or maybe it is actually the product and, and it's not so much about having like the downstream and the income and like that and, and things like that. Um, but just being fair, honest, open, transparent, I think is a really important thing. And so I'm glad that uh, there is an anti-MLM community to speak um, those, those experiences, especially if these organizations are going to start using uh, social media platforms and 
kind of getting out there, you know, because they have more than any individual, they have more power to optimize like search engines and things like that and push their stuff to the top. So it's nice to know that there is a community that has a powerful voice that can just let people know the, the two sides of the coin, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if these companies, if, if there was a market for their products, meaning I just can't wait to get me some unique mascara. Oh, the unique mascara is just the best thing in the world or the Amway yeah. bar or whatever. If there was a market for it and you're selling it like retail sales, then fine. But the fact that it depends on people being recruited, it depends yeah. on people paying to play. And a lot of people losing thousands of dollars. I mean, when I added up myself with the direct and also the peripheral things that I did in order to be successful and, you know, build my business sort of a thing. I mean, it's, it's it, at the minimum, it's $10,000 at a minimum. And that's a lot of money to not right. really thing out of it. And that type of thing is happening over and over and over again. And they will put out the direct selling company, I'm sorry, Direct Sales Association will put out like their, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but you know, $3 billion industry or whatever. But what they're not saying is how many people are just paying into it and not making anything or how mm -hmm. many people are coming into it each year and then how many people are leaving. I mean, they don't disclose that sort of stuff. And I think that's problematic. No, absolutely. And you'll have to forgive me if I've said anything that maybe... Um, comes across the, the, the wrong way. Um, so my, my approach, even in, in my own, you know, the, the thing that's so important to me is talking about kind of religion and faith transitions and things like that. Um, there's almost no position that I say, like, I know that I'm right and I can't possibly be, be proven wrong. So I'm always open to hearing, you know, tell me what is it about your, your idea or your religion, your philosophy that brings meaning to you? Because I would like to like to have an opportunity to evaluate that and and maybe there are some some bad parts about it some good parts about it but i just i, I want to know what is it like understand the thing completely and i kind of take that same approach to mlms it, it, in spite of the fact that i don't see myself ever signing up with one because of all you know all the problems that i know about that i could fathom uh, a situation where somebody does get benefit out of one I don't necessarily know of that situation today, but I'm always open to being enlightened, right? Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because last week I interviewed um, Peter Kahn. Peter Kahn is an anthropologist and he actually studied about um, evangelicalism uh, within Mexico because it started becoming very popular and I can't remember the year he was there. But at the same time, he started noticing like the Avon ladies and, you know, MLM there and he went back and studied it. And as an anthropologist and myself also as an anthropologist, I mean, if I can take out my own bias, which it's really hard to do since I've been, you know, actually in it and I've seen the destruction firsthand, um, is that are there some positive things that you can get? And you brought up community. A lot of people mm -hmm. are disenfranchised and they don't have that sense of community. So when you're in it, it can feel, and I'm, I'm speaking from my experience, it can feel very real, like you're in a real sisterhood and that you're, you know, with, you know, true friends. But then when you step away from it, it's like it, it all falls apart. Now, Peter's point was that he did not see that in that instance within that culture within Mexico because of, you know, just like where it was located and stuff like that. He did see the economic fallout of what, you know, I've described as well. 
but is it possible that people can receive something positive? Sure. You know, I think they can, but then I do go back into, but what price are you paying emotionally, economically, psychologically, and all those things? And that worries me because I've seen different aspects of that as well. But, you know, I mean, if I were to study it as an anthropologist and start putting the pieces together, I could definitely see trying to strip away and look for the functions of like what you're saying of what people are getting out of it of terms of that it could be beneficial for them as a human being. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, would you mind if I made a sports ball reference? No, not at all. I'm terrible at sports, but go right on ahead. Okay. So, um, in major league baseball, there is a catcher whose name is Jeff Mathis. And he's played for several different teams, and, and he's had several years in, in the MLB. He is, according to many, the worst hitter in all of baseball, right? Like, like when you put, like, a list of all hitters that play in the major leagues, he's at the very bottom. Yet somehow, so what happens is, like, if you're at the bottom of the list, you usually get cut, right? And they bring somebody else to try out, right? And he's been consistently in the major leagues and still being at the very bottom of that list for many years. And people wonder how it is that, that he continues to stay in the league. Several years ago, he was on the same baseball team as a guy named Mike Napoli. And they played the same position. And Mike is a fantastic hitter. He's great, right? Um, and this team had to decide which one of these catchers they wanted to keep, Mike or Jeff. And they ended up trading Mike. And it seemed like a ridiculous decision to keep. Why would you keep the worst hitter in baseball and trade away one of these fantastic hitters? Uh, but when it comes down to it, Mike, you know, can only give you so many runs a game, maybe one or two, right? Um, and that's if he's doing well, right, individually. But it turns out that the average ERA, which is the number of runs that a pitcher gives up, right? So you don't want to give up runs to the other team. The average ERA for Mike was two whole runs more than the average ERA when Jeff was catching. So wow. what, what, what happens is although Mike seems like a better baseball player because he's a much better hitter, the margin of his hitting over Jeff's, although it seems really big, is actually really small in comparison than the work that Jeff does behind the plate. Um, I am now forgetting what it is that even brought up the sports ball reference. Um, we were ta I was talking about how I could see, you know, like if I studied um, MLM as an anthropologist. Okay. Okay. So, you know, you, you have like the sense of community or something that that's going on and it seems like um, uh, really nice at the time. And that's like Mike getting a home run every, you know, 10 or so games, right? It's like, it's really fun to watch. It makes you feel good. You know, you got people in the crowds that are all excited, but what you don't see is how little by little Jeff behind the plate is doing all this work. And, and that might be like the, the cost that you're not really paying attention to because you're kind of distracted by the, by the lights and by the friendships. Um, you, you just, what I'm kind of getting at here is that you don't always see everything that's going on. Sometimes we focus too much on, on one aspect that um, is more colorful and the bells and whistles, but you, you've got to keep everything um, in context. And, and so even if you are getting a sense of community, is it possible that you could get the same sense of community without paying 
hundreds or more dollars every month uh, in order to have that community. And if you have to pay money in order to have a community, what really is like the, the true value of that community, right? Like when I was talking about meeting up with my friend, if my friend won't meet with me because I didn't read a chapter out of a book, how much of a friend are they really? Right. You know, that the, there's like a minute, like it, I wouldn't want to be friends with somebody that treated me poorly. That's just a, like a basic standard of, of relationship. But like, if I decided that I wasn't going to do this video with you because you didn't want to wear a black t-shirt, like that's, that's <laughs> silly. Right. And so I think the same thing can be said about the benefits that you get out of an MLM. Can you get it somewhere else that where it would be more substantial, not in a financial sense, but like based on you rather than the money that you can bring me. And I think that's very important to keep in mind. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you bring out an excellent point. And, you know, of course the answer is yes, because you know, you just kind of think about your own local community. I mean, are there meetup groups that you could join? Is there something else that you could do that, you know, I'm just going to throw something out there. Like you enjoy, you know, karate. Is, is there a way that you can, you know, hang out with people that enjoy karate or bowling, whatever it is, there's other ways to get that sense of community that doesn't have to be tied to you paying in order to have it. Yep. Yeah. That's not, that doesn't describe any relationship I have and not any relationship I would want to have. No, me neither. And I've, all, I've often said, and other people have said too, that MLM is like an abusive relationship because, you know, it's, it, it is, and I even did an example of one of my best friends of an abusive relationship that she was in. And I, you know, correlated that to how MLM treats you. And when you're in it, you don't see it. You, you, and it's just like when you're going out with that person that, you know, your mom or dad doesn't like, or that your best friend is like kind of given the side eye to, but you think they're fantastic. You then see it when you're outside of it and you've stepped away and you're like, Oh, now I get it. And it, it's just, it's very, very much like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Misplaced Faith for having a chat with me. I had such a great time talking to you. You know, as I think back on my conversation with Misplaced Faith, I can't help but think about the overall culture of Utah. And, you know, honestly, this really hadn't, you know, hit me, but it did when I was, you know, having this conversation. And that is, the culture is a bit different because MLMs are just so prevalent within Utah. So it makes sense to me that, you know, it's commonplace for someone to be a member of Amway or Herbalife or LuLaRoe or Beachbody or Isogenics or Kayani or, you know, whatever, just insert the MLM name that it's, it's almost like, you know, it's expected or it's a given or, you know what I mean? And it would seem to me that because it's a given, there's going to be less of that, you know, ick factor, the ick factor that like you and I might feel when we think about MLMs. Because if you're within a place where it's part of the culture, you're really not going to think anything about it. And you're probably not going to sit there and analyze it in the way that, again, you and I might in terms of, is it economically viable? And as an anthropologist, I do recognize that there may be other social factors of things that you receive from this experience that, you know, we in the anti-MLM community we don't really talk much about that because it's outside of the bubble, 
because our concern is more with seeing the economic damage that people, you know, experience. And, you know, if you've been on my channel for a minute, you've heard the many stories that I've told about that. And, you know, if you are in an area, and I'm just going to say Utah again because that's what we're talking about. That's where Mormons predominantly are. It's not like the only place, but you know what I mean. Anyway, in that area, you know, it's, with it being commonplace and you see somebody with success, I think it'd be very hard to question all of that. And when you're in an area where, you know, MLM is common and you see someone who appears to be having success because this is so common within, you know, your culture of where you live, I can see why someone might be on the fence or not really so sure about, you know, if it works or if it doesn't work, especially if they haven't experienced it themselves. Now, you and I, if you're part of the anti-MLM itch, since you and I are part of the anti-MLM community, it goes back to we are aware of the economic fallout. And beyond that, I think about the various tactics that are used, and I, I speak to this a lot on my channel, and I just, you know, refer to it overall as, you know, like the dark side of MLM, and specifically what I'm talking about is the indoctrination, the undue influence, the thought reform, how you are transformed from the person that you are into a different personality, and if you have read or listened to Margaret Singer, and I believe she's the one that said this, and if you know, let me know in the comments that your, your personality changes when you join a cult. And overall, for me, when I analyze you know, MLMs, and I've done a lot of that, they do fit the bite model. The bite model is behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. As a matter of fact, I use the Beachbody, I think it's called Business Activity Tracker or Daily Activity Tracker, it's one of those two things. Anyway, and I analyzed that, and that one document, which keeps you really, really busy, it fits all of the bite model. So when you really start kind of digging into, you know, the underbelly of MLM, if you will, and start looking at it really critically, you start seeing how the tactics that are used in MLM are just like the tactics that they're used, you know, in a religious cult. Now, having an open conversation, I think, is really important and you know in the MLM anti-MLM world there's two very strong sides there's people who are adamantly opposed and yes I am in that camp and there's other people that are you know all for it and typically I see those people as all for it as being changed and just like I was when I was part of Beachbody and when you are part of you know, the MLM, and you have been changed, and you're surrounding yourself with these like-minded people, and you're all chasing a dream, you can't see anything else than that thing that you believe in, and you believe in it so wholeheartedly, you know, you would just like, you would just, and people have just, you know, bet your life savings, lose all your money, that this is the pathway to fulfill all of your dreams, but is it? And this is what I offered when I did my response video to the Monet Hun that, you know, did a reaction to one of the anti-MLM community members here on YouTube. I just basically, you know, put out their resources for her because what if we're actually right? What if what we're saying makes sense? What if it really is true 
that most people are losing money, what if all of those numbers are absolutely correct? What if thought reform is actually happening? What if you have really been changed? And don't believe me. Do your own research. And when I say do your own research, I mean dig into stuff where there's people who have gone before you, people who have written books, and I'm not talking about the, the Hun people that you'll see, like, you know, the Eric Worries, the, the Ray Higdens, or anyone in the MLM, but people who have, you know, been looking at this phenomenon. There's not a lot of research out there on that. So when I talk about these people, there's few that you can look at. One is Robert Fitzpatrick. Another is David Brayer. He's done a lot of research on it. Robert's book, Ponzionomics, is coming out this spring. But I'd also offer to you to start watching channels and listening to people like Stephen Hassan, um, Chris Shelton, Andy the Fellows, John Attack, people who have been involved in cults and how they talk about like what happened to them. Listen to that because that's what really helped me. That's what helped me come to grips to see how I was manipulated. And that's basically what I was offering to that Monet, Monat, whatever, hun, of like, what if you start looking at these things and, you know, not from my point of view, look at it from someone else's point of view, and what if there is actually truth to it? I know when you're in the MLM and you're a staunch believer, you will dig your heels in if anyone says, oh, that's a pyramid scheme. Oh, you're just an independent contractor. Oh, you're not a CEO. Oh, hashtag, bleh. Oh, hashtag boss babe, you know, this is not your company. Just any number of things that, you know, we might hear or might utter ourselves. On the other side, that just serves to get people to dig in more. And I mean, you're wanting people to wake up, but a lot of times they have to be able to do that on their own. And you can get to them more. You know that saying about, what is it? Um, you get more flies with honey than you do vinegar. It's that kind of thing. You can be that soft space for people to land. You can be that person that is not, you know, um, going at someone uh, really, really hard. And sometimes I don't think people realize how hard what their words are that they're saying when they're looking to help people because they don't want people to lose money and time. But when someone has been altered, they can't see that. They can't see the truth if it literally bites them, you know? I mean, I have said this before, you can be on fire and deny the flames. You can show somebody the numbers and they'll deny it. I would have denied it. I would have completely denied the income disclosure statement because I would have seen myself as being someone that would defy the odds. Does that make sense? It's only when you allow yourself to like step away from how you think in the MLM world and you allow yourself to start questioning again. You know, begin to wake up your critical thinking skills again and really start looking at things on your own because it's really amazing to me that we wake up so much when we do the work ourselves. I mean, somebody else can hand us all the things and we're just not going to be interested in it. It's not until we start seeing it and start questioning and start you know, wanting to know more and not just taking 
what you're being told by the MLM. Because the thing I think that drives me, oh, nose itch again. The thing that drives me nuts is this concept of, oh, you just didn't work hard enough. I mean, and that's a blanket statement that people just aren't working hard enough. And that is just a bunch of bunk. I know the amount of time that I spent trying to chase the dream. And I'm the kind of person, I've cracked many of nuts. I have figured out many things that were extremely hard. I one time, there was something that I wrote. It was um, for training. And literally, I had no subject matter expert to work with. I didn't have much of anything to go on. And somehow, through my own research, through talking to some other instructional designers, that had done some stuff in the past, I was able to put something together. So when I finally did get a subject matter expert, you know, I actually had something to go on. So I know I can figure out how to do things. I mean, I just go back to, you know, all the different types of training that I've done, whether it has been something um, for the Army when I did that, whether it's something that I've done for, you know, like offshore oil or for salt formations for ways that you store oil. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I figured things out. But when it comes to MLM, it didn't matter. You know, it absolutely didn't matter what I did, how I did it, how long I did it. If I did all the things because I did, it still didn't work. And that's the thing that will drive you absolutely bonkers because you're going, why isn't it? And then you keep on blaming yourself. And you are not to blame. It's not set up for you to win. It's set up for you to think you're going to win, but you're not. If you got some sort of value out of this video, make sure that you hit that subscribe button and turn on the notification bell. Because when you turn on the notification bell, you will be notified each time that I upload a new video. Also, leave a comment below and let me know your thoughts because all of those sort of things, and a thumbs up too, give the video a thumbs up, all of that stuff really does help my content get seen more. And remember, change starts now.